the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It is 4 o'clock. Southern California Live on KKLA, KPRZ. I'm Bob Lapine. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. This hour, it's you and me and your phone calls at 888-52-TALKS. We're going to open it up to whatever you want to talk about, whatever questions you've got. We'll just uh, we'll toss it open. We've been talking a lot yesterday and today about the events in Ukraine. Uh, that may be on your heart, something you'd want to add to the conversation we've been having about that. Uh, there have been other things going on. As I, I don't know if you watched any of the State of the Union address on Tuesday night as the president spoke about Ukraine, but also about what's going on in our country, about his agenda, about his proposed fix for some of what we're dealing with here in the United States. I, I thought to myself, if I was giving my own State of the Union address, what what would I identify as the issues that need to be fixed, and what would I propose as the way to fix them? Be an interesting question. I don't know if you've thought about that. What what would you if you were getting together with people and they said, "What do you think?" needs to be addressed in our country? What are the the key issues that we need to be addressing, and how would you address them? I had this one thought come to mind, and it was this. I think I would say, at some point in my, my State of the Union address, I think I would say, I, I believe that America is a good and great country. It's not a perfect country. It's a country with flaws. It's a country like every other country that has a checkered history. But it's a country where the values, the goals, our, our understanding of how to organize society, how to come together as a people, how to live in peace and harmony. I, I am one who supports the idea of what's referred to as American exceptionalism. I think this is an exceptional country. I think there's a reason why people immigrate here. And I think I would say in my own State of the Union address, while we are not a perfect country, while there is much that we can address and fix, I want to have the conversation about what needs to be fixed with people who start from the same place I'm starting, with people who think, that this is a good and great country and that what we have identified as American values throughout the history of our country, the things that we believe in as the rights of the people, the things we believe in as public and civic virtues, we've identified these things as what make us a great society. If, if we have common agreement on those things, then we can dialogue together on how to fix what, what ails us. But if you are a person who begins from the premise that America is foundationally flawed, needs to be completely burned down and restarted from the ground up, that our ways of doing things, 
are the wrong way, that our our culture has been built on 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 evil, that the American way of life is the wrong way. If that's your starting point, then we can't have common ground about how to fix what's wrong because because we don't start with some some necessary presuppositions. And I think we have people in our country today, some of them political leaders in our country today, who would say uh, America is is a fundamentally flawed, evil country. It needs to be torn down. And I mean, we've heard this in the last two years from people who say, we got to burn it down and start over again. If that's your presupposition, we don't have common dialogue. We can't go forward as a country trying to find a, a middle ground there. There's no middle ground there. So we have to start with this. If you're an American, you you have to understand, yes, there are things that need to be fixed in our country. There are things that have been wrong in our country throughout the history of our country. There are things that are getting better today. There are things that still need, need to be addressed today. But fundamentally, American the American way of looking at the world, looking at life, in, in my view, it's the right way. It's the way that I think a society needs to be organized. And if if that's not your starting point, then the State of the Union is in, in trouble. We, we, can't, we can't build America better if we think America is fundamentally wrong to begin with. Anyway, I, that, as I'm watching the State of the Union, I thought, Somebody just needs to say that from a foundational standpoint. So, uh, and I don't know what came to your mind as you were watching it, but I'm, you're welcome to join us, 888-52-TALKS. We're going to, in this open hour, take your phone calls and hopefully take a lot of them. I do want to read something to you that gives us a picture of the reality of what people in Ukraine in Ukraine are, are dealing with right now. This is a piece written by Eugene Kachalov. Um, he wrote, the night before Russia started the war, my friends and I all met to come up with a plan. He's living in Kiev. In, in Kiev. By the way, I don't know if you've heard this, but we sometimes hear people on the news referring to Kiev and sometimes Kiev. I grew up thinking the the capital of Ukraine Ukraine is Kiev. That's the Russian pronunciation of the capital. Ukrainians pronounce it Kiev. It's spelled differently in the transliteration. So the Russian transliteration is that K I E V it's K Y I V in the Ukrainian. So I'll call it Kiev. Anyway, Eugene writes, he says, the night before Russia started the war, my friends and I met to come up with a plan. None of us ever really thought that Kiev, where we lived, would fall. At worst, we figured there'd be some sort of staged terrorist attack in the city to get the government to capitulate. But we decided that we needed to have our most important things ready anyway, our passports, marriage certificates, cash, watches, jewelry, now, again, just stop and think about living in a place where as you go to bed at night, you think we've got to get our stuff together in case we need to get out of here quickly. Well, let's get our belongings. Let's get our bag packed in case. 
He said, I got home around one in the morning. And four and a half hours later, a friend called to tell us there was an explosion in Kiev that the Russian invasion was underway. He said, my wife and I shot up and started packing. I grabbed my Timberland boots and my sneakers in case we'd have to abandon our car and walk through the forest to safety. We took layers to keep us warm. We grabbed water bottles. I packed my computer, my phone, my chargers, my Bitcoin hardware wallet. He said, I, in the past six months, we've been trying to figure out how to enter the crypto market. I've invested some of my own money, so I grabbed my Bitcoin wallet. Thankfully, he said, the night before, I'd filled up the gas tank thinking we might have to flee. We were in a car a little more than a half hour after getting the call. Stopped at my wife's office. She owns a women's clothing brand. We grabbed some cash that she kept in the safe there. She paid all of her 40 employees two months' salary in advance via a banking app. By now it was 7 in the morning. There was already a sense of panic in the streets. Traffic at 7 a.m. was jammed. People without cars were walking, carrying their luggage. Staring at the long line of Volkswagens and Toyotas and Renaults winding through the center of Kiev, past Independence Square, the old gold-domed Orthodox Church, made me think back to the morning of August, August 10th, 1991, when my mother and I fled Kiev for the first time. He says, I was 10 years old at the time, and the Soviet Union was collapsing in slow motion. My mother and I were in a taxi. I remember the nervous look on her face. It was dark then, as it is now. No one knew where they were going to sleep that night or whether they'd make it. When we finally landed in Ireland en route to New York, where my father was, I asked my mother if she would buy me a Coke in a can. I'd never had Coke from a can. She did, even though it cost us a dollar. We only had $56 to our name back then. Now, he says, here I am, fleeing my hometown, the place where I had met my beloved wife, fleeing for a second time. I'm reading this because I want you to get a feel for what is going on, what the, the processing that people in Kiev are doing right now, today. A million people who have already left the country out of 40 million. Others who are wondering, do we need to leave? Do we stay? Will there be food? Will there be gasoline? Imagine having to think about this living in Los Angeles and thinking, do we pack the car? Where do we go? Do we go to Vegas? Do we go to Phoenix? Do do we go north? Where do we go? He goes on and he writes, my friends two other couples, plus my wife and I, had decided we would go west, away from the front. We settled on one of their parents' country homes, about 35 clicks southwest of Kiev. The internet was still working. We used Waze to get through the countryside. When we arrived at my friend's parents' house, they made us borscht, none of us was really hungry, and they welcomed us in. We figured we'd sit tight in the countryside for a few days. 
Then we started hearing about stories of friends who had already gone west, about the checkpoints and the traffic, the lines that were forming at the gas stations and at the border. We watched videos of tanks coming through uh, the Crimea in the south and Belarus in the immediate north and the soldiers in Cherkensky. We saw military helicopters overhead. I wasn't sure if they were ours or Russia's. We decided to leave at 5 the next morning and push on to Poland. Another friend had arrived in the countryside from Kharkiv with an SUV, so we left our sedan behind, piled into the big SUV, and we drove. Big cities were now being bombed, so we tried to avoid them. We drove south toward Odessa on the Black Sea. Halfway there, we veered west, driving through farmland and countryside to avoid military installations like airports or bases that were being attacked. At one point, we saw a massive explosion in the distance. Again, are you wrapping your head around this? Can you imagine driving through the streets of L.A. and seeing a massive explosion off to your left or to your right? Cars jammed up trying to get out of town. He says, I was scared. We got news that Chernobyl had been taken and that Marupol and Odessa were being attacked. I tried to focus on us getting west. I kept thinking about a line from World War Z, the Brad Pitt zombie pandemic movie, where he tells a Spanish family he's trying to save, movement is life. My wife and I made a pact that if there were ever missiles exploding in front of us, even if our car broke down, even if we were exhausted, we would keep moving. If we had to, we would drop everything and run. We would do anything to get to the border with Poland. As I drove, I felt like there was a great fire behind us. We got word from a friend who used to work in border control that there were fighter jets over Lviv that the border to Poland had been closed. We changed course. We drove on dirt dirt roads toward the Hungarian border. The first eight or nine gas stations we passed were closed. No fuel left at the pumps. We found a few gas stations open further west. There were long lines. There was a limit on the amount of gas you could get, about 20 liters per car. But we were able to refuel a few times. We arrived at Ternopil about 4 p.m. There was a massive crane and men building a checkpoint, cobbling together a wall made of sandbags. These weren't military people, just local men who put on uniforms to protect their homes. This was western Ukraine, where Ukrainians, more than anywhere else, thought of themselves as Ukrainians, not Russian subjects. And you understand this, don't you, that, that the farther east the more likely there has been, you, you have people who who lived in Russia at some point and live now in eastern Ukraine. So there's a more heavily Russian influence in eastern Ukraine than there is in western Ukraine. This writer goes on to say, while I drove, my wife Anna checked the news and navigated. Rus- Russia was spreading disinformation about the denazification uh, and about Ukraine coming uh, committing genocide. So in Russia, there is there, there's propaganda going out to the Russian people about why the Russians need to come in because there's Ukrainian genocide, which of course is not happening. This guy says, Anna, my wife is a history buff. 
she thought Putin was trying to recreate Stalinism, maybe a new Iron Curtain. I was thinking about when East and West Germany were broken in two. First they put up a fence, and then a wall, and then it was like two different universes. Sometime Friday afternoon, we heard that men between 18 and 60 would not be allowed to leave the country, many of our friends among them. It says, I was very fortunate. I'm an American citizen. Most people who emigrate to the States never go back to Ukraine. But I had spent more and more time there uh, in business, eventually met and fell in love with my wife, whose life was there. I could not stop thinking about my friends who have no, they don't have what I have. My, my countrymen who don't have access to a car don't have any place to go. I think that's one reason why the Ukrainian people have been able to resist with such courage. They're fighting for their kids, for their home, for their nationality, for everything they've ever known. These past few days have forced me to change my mind about a few things. The U.S. has been saying that American citizens should evacuate Ukraine for weeks, but the message out of the embassy was super cautious. I assumed they just didn't want an unnecessary crisis to deal with. And like many people over the last few years, I'd become much more wary of officials and experts. But when it came to what they were saying about Ukraine and Kiev, I was wrong. Also, he said, I was not a big fan of President Zelensky when he was elected. My wife and our friends did not support him. They didn't think that this former comedian was serious or particularly effective. But in the past few days, he says, I've seen the man has great courage. I get goosebumps when I watch him speak. This is a man who leads from the front. And as Nassim Tlaib would say, he has skin in the game. If he, leaves, if he loses, Ukraine loses. He's going to lose his life in the process. I respect him so much now. When we heard that the government was handing out weapons to citizens who wanted them, we didn't think anybody would get in line, but we've been told thousands of people are standing in line, young and old, to get guns. I wonder if my neighbors can do it. Can Ukraine withstand the third largest army in the world? If you'd asked me Thursday, I'd have said chances were low. Now I'm sure the Ukrainian people will stand their ground. He concludes by saying at 7 a.m. on Saturday, the Hungarian border opened. The endless line of cars began moving. We finally passed through the border patrol, customs into Hungary. I can't describe the relief we felt to be in the European Union. We pulled into a gas station where my wife, steadying herself on a vending machine, wept. Since then, we've gotten to Budapest. We've been doing everything we can to help get people out. It started with friends and then friends of friends friends of friends of friends. My wife and I both have a large following online. We're using that, that uh, social media as, the best, as best we can. My wife posted her phone number on her Instagram story. She's been getting diabetic, uh, diabetes medicine into hospitals in Ukraine, water to families, whatever she can do. Hundreds of people in Europe have contacted me offering their apartments for refugees. So I've been contacting them. A family of seven can sleep safely in Krakow tonight because of a kind stranger's apartment. I haven't seen even 1% of this war yet. I can only imagine what the people in Kiev and Kharkiv are seeing now. He says they are the brave ones. 
I read that this morning and I thought, we have no idea. We, we have lived in such relative comfort, such relative ease. We, we have lived so far from this kind of conflict. We see it in movies or we see it on TV, on the TV news. It still seems like it, it's somewhere else. In, in God's providence, it it has not visited us war like this. We've not seen an invasion. We've not seen troops crossing the border and taking out American cities. And so we don't know what the what the reality of this experience is like. But the people who are living with it the people whose lives are being disrupted, who are leaving their homes and may never come back to them again, who are watching what was their apartment now being a gutted apartment building, people who are watching all of this, these are people who life will never be the same for them. And I don't think we understand uh, what that's like. And so to read an article like that is just helps me recognize the desperate nature of what's going on on the other side of the world. Well, I want to share that with you. I also want to open the phone lines, talk about whatever's on your mind today. 888-52-TALKS is the number, 888-528-2557. Whether it's Ukraine or the State of the Union, or I had another thought, and I don't know if this is something that well, we we can talk about this on the other side, but let, let me just set it up for you. I I I have a burden that uh, I believe in in our church uh, where where I pastor. I believe in a lot of churches in the U.S. today. The priority of the Great Commission has become a a secondary, a tertiary. We we put it on the back burner. We are not people who share our faith the way people did 40 years ago. We're not people who are bold about our faith the way people were. We we don't want to be we don't want to be shouted down, we don't want to be canceled, so we keep silent. I'm wondering if if you have felt this and I'd really love to talk to those of you who maybe you have the gift of boldness, the gift of evangelism. It's something that you you comfortably do. I'd love to hear your stories of how God is using your boldness. I'm thinking about the people again in Ukraine, Kiev, who are sharing their faith in the midst of the foxhole. Are you doing this regularly? Are you somebody who you take this seriously and you you shared maybe have you shared your faith in the last week or two and have you seen God use that are you seeing people respond there are there spiritual appetites being whetted i think it would encourage all of us if we could hear some of your stories this afternoon so again the number is 888-52-talks 888-528-2557 we'll open the lines and we'll be back to take your calls Uh, as your Thursday edition of Southern California Live continues.
888-52-TALKS is the number of Southern California Live on KKLA and KPRZ. Open lines this afternoon to talk about whatever you want to talk about. I am I would love to hear from any of you who have had the experience in the last 30 days. You shared your faith with somebody, and maybe it took you out of your comfort zone. I'd just love to hear the story of, of what that is, because I, I think, we could all use a little jump start in that area to to get to get going, right? To be talking more boldly and openly about Jesus. 888-52-TALKS, 888-528-2557 is the number. Uh, Brandon is joining us this afternoon from Yorba Linda. Brandon, welcome to Southern California Live. Oh, thank you. How you doing? Uh, good. Driving off. Good. So, what's on what what's on your mind today? Well, I grew up Christian since I was a kid. I grew up in a Christian household, and I I wanted to go to the Air Force. Never was allowed because of what I believed in at that time. But you know, now that I see everything and how the world is going, now I have a wife and two kids, and to me, what's happening in Ukraine is like you you have to do something about it. It's just for me, it just looks like David and Goliath. Hmm. David being Zelensky and Goliath, you know, being Putin. I, I'm interested the little in little guys it, are fighting strong. Yeah, I'm. I'm interested. I'm. I just want to stop you. You said you grew up in a Christian household. You were interested in the Air Force, but you didn't go because of of what you believed or how you were brought up. Unpack that for me, can you? Oh well, my parents well said no. You can't go because then that's killing people and that's a sin and. That's not right. So they, they're the ones that stopped me. I had actually talked to recruiters about how I felt, and I was about to go, but then my parents at the last minute said, no, no, like, they convinced me not to go. And to this day, it's one thing that I regret the most. Do you think today, as you look at it, that military service and, and uh, defending a country or going, going out against aggressors, that that's sinful? No, because the power of many and the faith of many overpowers the evil that's in the world. I mean, there's I, I, always going to be something evil in the world. You just got to always fight, no matter what situation or how you do it. There is. You may not be aware of this, but years ago, um, and this goes back hundreds, centuries ago, uh, as people were trying to figure out, okay, when is it just, when is it fair or right for a Christian to be engaged in military conflict or in a war. And what evolved out of that is something called the just war theory. Have you ever heard of that? No. Well, I'd encourage you to Google this because the just war theory says there is a time when there is a just cause and it is right and righteous for people to to stand up against evil like you're talking about to take up arms if necessary, and to kill if necessary, to restrain evil. And I, I think we've lost sight. I, I think what's happened, if, if you were going back, if you'd been born in 1890, you would have been a teenager during World War One. You'd have been in your 60s during World War Two if you had lived that long. You'd have seen uh, conflict and evil in in both of those settings, and you'd have recognized that while war is terrible, there are there are just causes that 
We we have to stand up. We can't just sit back. And and we're seeing this right now in Ukraine and seeing it in in uh, with what Putin's doing. What he's doing is unjust, and to take up arms to resist that is a just cause, I believe. And I think that's what you're saying too, right? Yeah. Yeah, and it's just like if you read the Bible, back in the Old Testament, they fought for their lives. They fought for what their country, for what they believed in. And, you know, nowadays, that's the moral thing of what right and wrong, but then they don't really think about all that. They, sadly, some churches now only want to use parts of the Bible that they want. Yes, you're right. Thing. You're right. And nobody wants to glorify war. Nobody wants to. I mean, we, 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 war should be avoided at all costs, but there are times when it is necessary. Uh, you know, I don't know if uh, you've ever sung all of the verses of the Star Spangled Banner, but in the later verses, we all know, oh, say, can you see by the dawn's early light? We all know that. But there are later verses, and there's one verse that says, then conquer we must when our cause it is just. Let this be our motto, in God is our trust. And and when there is a just cause, we should ask God to give us victory over evil. And I think that's what we're seeing happen today. And I think we've got to be reawakened as a nation to the idea that there are times when it's right to take up arms and, and times when it's right to go fight. We saw that happen a little bit after 9-11 as people were, were motivated to do that. This is one of those times when I think people are saying, we have to go stand up to the schoolyard bully who's rolling his tanks into Kiev and saying, I'm going to take over. And we have to say, oh, no, you're not. And and that's what the Ukrainian people are doing. And they're showing us back. But they're showing us something about what we need to be showing as well. Brandon, thanks for your call. Lines are open at 888-52-TALKS. If you'd like to join us, open line today on Southern California Live. Uh, Juan is on the air from Santa Clarita. Juan, welcome to the program. Hello, it's Warren. Warren, I'm sorry. We had you up as Juan. That's nice okay. to have you, Warren. That's okay. How are you doing today? Good. Uh, yeah, I'm just calling in. You know, you uh, you mentioned if anyone has any good stories about the Great Commission. And, um, you know, I've been, uh, I have a pretty tragic story. Um, cancer and alcoholism and behavioral health units. Um, and I've been sober now for about a year, year and a half. And, um, I was, um, and so basically, you know, as I go through my day and I'm constantly talking to people. And so I'll pretty much put my story out there on how crazy I used to be. And, mm. you know, and I've cleaned up pretty well and look what God's done for me. And then I'll ask him, do you believe in God? And then I'll start, you know, probing and, um, couple interesting things um it's working really well where i work um i was just praying with my manager right now as she was having some anxiety and you know kind of a spiritual attack type thing but there's a lot of christians that aren't speaking out and i'm kind of it was kind of a i was kind of surprised that you know a good portion of the people i come across are christians but you wouldn't know it <laughs> so i mean you know i'm using my story really to um just to, to get out there and, and to start talking with people. You know, I, I think we undervalue and underestimate the power of our story. And I think what you're demonstrating, Warren, is exactly right, that our stories I, – I sat down with our congregation recently and I said this. I said, um, you should have a three-minute version of your story 
ready to go at any time. And the three-minute version should be, this is what my life was like before I knew Jesus. This is how I came to know Jesus. And this is what's happened since then. It's, it's those three elements. And you can sit down with somebody and you can say, you, you can say, hey, I'd love to hear, what's your story? You know, and let them tell their story and then wait for them to say, what's your story? And as soon as they say it, you've got a chance to, to share how Jesus has, has changed your life. What was the turning point for you? What brought you from addiction and alcoholism and making a mess of things to, to coming to Jesus? Well, um, I've been trying to get sober over the last 12 years. Um, so I've, I guess you could say I've been saved but backslidden. And um, on December 20th of last year, I had a paranoid schizophrenic breakdown and was running through my street. There were cops all on my street, and I was just, I was gone. I went in Bayville Health Unit, and instantly I knew that I needed to just start pleading the blood of Jesus. And I really just started um, just, because there was a lot of crazies in there, and I could just sense the evilness. And so I I guess I got broken so bad Hmm. that I had no choice mentally because I wasn't sure if I was ever going to come back from that state of wow. um, of where I mental state. And so I just, you know, just threw myself into the Lord, into the book, into, um, you know, AA. And, um, and then, but that testimony is really, I'm finding, you know, the more crazy people hear that it is, and they see how much I changed, it just takes humility to put yourself out there. But I'll rather have give the glory to God, saying, you know, look what He's done. Look, you know, look how well I'm doing. I mean, I got beautiful kids. One's in a Christian college. The other one's on his way to college. I've been married for 22 years, so I got a pretty remarkable story. But you know, blessed and highly favored. Who has has there been anybody who's come around you and kind of helped you grow and pointed you in the right direction? Well, I. Um, I started having spiritual attacks um, when I had my cancer, and I was on pain medication. And um, so I started studying on how to do spiritual warfare um, 12 years ago. And I haven't really had any help from any churches, to be honest with you. Um, you know, and so it's—I don't want to say I'm self-taught, but I do, I do listen to, um, like, Greg Laurie, Tony Evans, and uh, pe- Preachers Online. But I haven't really found a church. I'm into the uh, you know the prophecy stuff too. But yeah, I just kind of self-taught to be honest with you. Well, let me encourage you to get in a local church and uh, to find the one where you can plug in because this is not meant to be a solo sport. It's not a lone, lone ranger kind of thing. And if you're going to stay the course and not relapse like you've done in the past, you're going to need brothers and sisters around you to do this with you. So, Warren, thank you for calling. Thanks for sharing your story. Love to hear stories like that. Love to hear about God's work in your life and about what you're doing to share the gospel with others. It's open lines today at 888-52-TALKS, 888-528-2557. We'll continue the conversation, take more of your calls as your Thursday edition of Southern California Live continues. Open lines this afternoon on Southern California Live, KKLA and KPRZ. I'm Bob Lapine. 
Thanks for tuning in. Our lines are open at 888-52-TALKS. We're talking about whatever's on your mind, and Frederick is joining us from El Monte this afternoon. Frederick, welcome to Southern California Live. How you doing, sir? Good. How are you? Um, well, pretty fair. Still under the weather, though. But I'll just say, um, when you tell, when you say about the, there's a time for fighting and not a time for fighting, yeah, I think there's more. Well, you know the Book of Joshua, right? Yeah. What God orders the children of Israel to do to form an army. I said not to be heavy of heart. I'll be with you when they carry the Ark of the Covenant amongst their army. You know what the order was, right? The God, worshippers God, went first, right? The, the, the God God told Joshua to gather the to children of Israel and, and form an army. And in the order, he tells them, you're going to go to the land of milk and honey that promised your your your, 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 your your father's, your grand, your you know, your relation, but they they sinned. They were they were a disobedient uh, generation. It'll be you to go in now, and the order is to kill every man, woman, child, and beast. Yeah, and not to take any of the riches for their own. Also, the Passover is when God let out His angel of death and went over the, the land of Egypt and struck down the first firstborn. Hmm. And, you know, we read that in our day and we think, how can this be? How can God be a good, loving God and order these things? And yet God, res- question. Uh, God restrains, question. that's right, God restrains. In, in fact, when, when uh, King Saul did not wipe out uh, the, the people as he was instructed to do, it had been 400 years since those people had committed abomination, had had terrorized God's people. He'd been patient for 400 years. I, I think you make a great point, Frederick, and that is we have to recognize that there is a time, there's a time for peace and a time for war, and that doesn't mean we go charging into it, but but there are times when God will call us for a righteous cause to to take up arms against evil and I, I think we got to be aware of that. Thomas is on the line from L.A. Thomas, thanks for calling Southern California Live. Thomas, you there? We may have lost Thomas. One more try. Thomas, let's go to Dominic, who's also in L.A. In LA. Dominic, welcome to Southern California Live. Going. Uh, good. How are you? Uh, I'm doing wonderful this morning. Well, yes. Maybe. So what's what's on your mind today? So yeah, I just wanted to call and kind of uh, get a little bit something positive that's been happening lately. Um, for the past, oh, I don't know how long. I, I've a couple of years. I've kind of been, I've been with God, but not. I wouldn't say full heartedly. You know, I, I, of course, I know He's there and I love Him and I want a relationship with Him. But I kind of just been putting Him on the back burner. Uh, just recently, I've decided, you know, it's time that I really, um, you know, take him serious. I mm. take my relationship with God seriously. And so uh, I went to church. Actually, I went to Calvary Chapel, uh, Chino Hills, to check it out, you know. And um, something after church just led me to decide that I wanted to go check out uh, go back to my home church, which I had grow, grown up in, a small little church. Um, I had went, I saw my aunt, and everything started going well. I found out that my pastor had passed away, unfortunately. However, uh, the positive side of all this is uh, there's an opportunity there at that church for me to actually grow 
with uh, grow with them and, and possibly even start preaching at that church. Really, I've always felt God kind of calling me. Yeah, I've always I've always felt God calling me to uh, the, the ministry in that way. You know, and I know that that's kind of where He's directing me towards, and just out of out of a sheer random decision to just listen to God on my heart and go to that church, I I I've, I see God and exactly uh, I see exactly what He what He wants me to do. You know, and I, I can I can see it clearly. There's a door being opened here. Dominic, what was it that that took you from living a lukewarm, double-minded life to saying, I need to get serious about my relationship with Jesus? I would say, you know, um, it's, it's, always been, it's always been there. I've always wanted to do it, but I think uh, I'm just a big procrastinator, and I procrastinate a lot on things that I just uh, I feel like are just going to be a lot of work. And... Um, but deep down, I know that I wanted to do it, and I think this time that really caused me to just go for it is I started really thinking, you know, and thinking about uh, my situation with my my daughter, you know, and um, how I have to be the head of the household. I have to be the one to to lead uh, by example and 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 follow right under God, you know, and and be that for her and kind of guess just knocking upside the head a little bit and you know it's like well I I have responsibilities that I need to take care of and this needs to be done and so I I just decided you know I've got to take it seriously so if you were talking to somebody today you were at lunch with them and and they were lukewarm in their walk with the Lord they were double-minded you know one foot in one foot out kind of thing what would you say to them well, I, I tell them, you know, that first things first, we don't have too much time left on this world. Uh, you know, God's coming soon, and that's no doubt. Uh, and on top of that, you know, there's there's something much better to be had. Um, you can have everything in this world that you want, and, uh, you know, you can experience all the joys of this world, but at the end of the day, it's only going to give you just a simple, happy high, and it's going to leave you wanting more. Mm. And um, you might be happy in the moment, but where I found true joy and true fulfillment is in God always. And I've never been left left wanting more. I always get more. Mm. Um, and God always fills me and always fills my cup, you know, and, the, and I'm just, I'm, I'm filled with true, true joy with God. I don't miss the world. I don't miss any bit of it after truly experiencing God. Well, Dominic, may you continue to follow hard after him. May he direct your steps and use you however he's going to use you in your in your family's life, in your daughter's life, and in the church as well. Thanks for calling this afternoon. Thomas, we, we are able to get to you. We weren't before, but we got you on. Thanks for calling Southern California Live. Hello, yes. Um, I'm a Vietnam veteran, and I was all messed up with drugs and drinking and getting DUIs all my life, and uh, just being a messed up dude. I had a daughter, too, that was very concerned about me. So she talked to me about the Lord, told me to get out of the bars and the VFWs, American Legion, where I was killing myself and destroying myself, not knowing what was wrong with me, with my PTSD and everything. I was a messed up dude. So my daughter was very very influential in getting me... (laughs) out of the bar, so uh, she took me to church and said, come to my church, and I went, 
It was a Calvary Chapel. Yeah. I got uh, born again. I got baptized. And then I was just like hanging out with the church, and I'm saying, what is this? What do I do? Uh, you know? So I prayed one night, and I said, Lord, I surrender to you already. Everything that I ever did, I, I've been a backslider all my life. Now I surrender my life. Now I'm asking you, what am I supposed to do for you? What is my calling? So he gave me a vision of a swap meet, and I was walking through the vision, so vivid, so real. And there was a prayer booth there, and it said, need prayer. So I saw it, and I said, wow, that is so real. I woke up, and I couldn't believe my eyes. So I said, ah, it's just a dream. <laughs> well, me and my buddies, we uh, buried one of our comrades, and he said, let's go downtown to where... Uh, you know, we could have a beer. And I said, sure, man, I'll go with you, you know. So I went with them, and uh, we sat down, and, and I said, I'll be right back. I walked outside, and there was a farmer's market. What do I run into? The prayer booth, <laughs> live, in color. And I said, wow, that's the prayer booth I saw in the, my dream and my vision. So I went up to him, and I said, what is this? I said, well, we have a prayer here for people that need prayer. I said, okay. So I went home, and I couldn't sleep, and I was talking to the Lord. Lord, what am I supposed to do? Set up a prayer booth someplace? Is that what you want? So I went to different venues to see if they would let me in. Most of them didn't. But then I found a farmer's market, and I told the guy, uh, he asked, what are you going to do here? And I said, I'm going to pray for people. He goes, what? Never heard of it. I go, you know, this. you got to sell vegetables. you got to sell fruit. You know, this is a farmer's market. <laughs> right. I go, I have nothing like that. All I have is a prayer booth. He goes, well, let me take it up with the committee and vote on it. So they went and voted on it, and they come. I go the next week, and I said, well, what's my status? He goes, you're in. we got a spot for you over here. I go, yeah? I go, how much a spot? He goes, it's free. You're not selling anything, so we're giving it to you free. I and love I said, it. Oh, great, man. So I was there 10 years waiting and waiting for people. One a year, two a year, five a year, three a year, none. No people for 10 years, just back and forth. But I was, I was, I was, uh, I, I was there. That's my place, and I'm going to go. You were so faithful. Set up every, faithful all the way, sir. All right, so wrap, then, it, wrap it up. I got about 30 seconds. Go ahead, Thomas. Okay. Okay, now now I, I do the prayer booth in La Puente. But anyway, people, my brothers and sisters in Christ, pray to the Lord. Ask for your calling. He will reveal it to you. If you're sincere in giving up this life and how and doing the Great Commission, pray on it. He will reveal it to you. He will give you an answer. And you don't know what it might be, but follow through, and you'll see how God will use you and protect you and guide you the rest of his life. That's a good word, Thomas. Thank you. Thanks for helping us wrap up the show today. Thanks for your story. Thanks to all who've called in. We'll be back to do it again tomorrow as uh, we continue on Southern California Live. We'll see you tomorrow. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.